Hello everybody and welcome to this first session on the Frankel Services Pre-Day at reInvent 2016. Wow, what a turnout. Uh, we have, uh, I've heard that we have about 3,000 registered uh, guests from the financial services industry. So that's a great turnout for the first ever financial services uh, pre-day uh, focus on financial services. Uh, I am Pavan Agnihotri. I'm a principal solution architect with Amazon Web Services, uh, focused on the financial services. And I've been with AWS for about three and a half years and have worked in the financial services industry for about 13 years before that. So very familiar with the industry, very familiar with the kind of constraints we all deal with. And today, I'm going to talk about fraud detection and machine learning on AWS. This session is based on the work I've done with some of the financial services banks, uh, trying to build a fraud detection system using machine learning on AWS. How many data scientists do we have in the room? Quite a few. Uh, so basically, the goal here is to sort of present to you how to create a platform for machine learning on AWS uh, and use fraud detection as a use case. There's going to be no code or deep math in this, uh, in this session. We're going to look at AWS as a platform for your uh, fraud detection and machine learning. So fraud detection is uh, basically trying to find fraud in transactions that happen for the financial industry. It's a big problem and a major concern for the banks due to the nature of the business they are in, right? There's a lot of uh, reward for fraudsters to commit fraud on the banks. Any fraud they commit, they have immediate financial reward from that. So the banks are under constant attack and probe from various bad actors trying to penetrate their systems, uh, use nefarious means to transact and extract money. The banks need to be able to detect and prevent this fraud while allowing the main customers transact their business successfully without any problems. We need to be able to do this without impacting the customer in their natural day-to-day uh, -day business. When you have millions of customers, this becomes a very big deal. In fact, the numbers in 2015 for fraud were from financial, uh, for, for the banks uh, in credit card fraud was about 8.5 billion loss. Globally, the number was 21.8 billion. This number is only expected to grow. It's projected to be about 31 billion in 2020. So it is a major problem for the banks. You need to be able to detect, detect this fraud and prevent it. Having worked with some of the customers, they have businesses in various areas, right? So you have checking, you have credit card, you have debit, you have wire transfer. Also, the banks provide these services over various endpoints, such as mobile, ATM, web, uh, and teleservices, right? So there are multiple channels. When we look at this fraud, 
the analysts have defined this to be in multiple layers. Layer one is when we are trying to determine fraud from an endpoint. Now, what is an endpoint? Uh, a stolen card, a compromised ATM machine, a compromised credit card machine. These are the kinds of fraud that some of the fraudsters try to uh, compromise the machine and commit fraud in layer one. In layer two, we're trying to detect fraud in a session based where, for example, when a customer logs into a website, the very first thing they may do is go to their account and look at the balances, maybe look at some statements, and then create a transaction. In a fraud scenario, a bot acting on behalf of a fraudster may just directly log into the account and go straight to a transaction. That's a variance in the uh, actions of a customer. So that's how you would de determine a fraud in layer two. In layer three, you would have fraud across the channel. So for example, you have a checking account or you may have a bill pay set up on that. You have regularly three or four transactions happening per month to known entities. Suddenly, your account is compromised or a fraudster is behaving differently. They may suddenly try to do a couple of hundred transactions to different entities. So that's a layer three level fraud. In layer four, we may have fraudsters acting across multiple channels. So whether you have checking accounts, saving accounts, credit card, debit, mortgage. So there may be fraudsters trying to commit fraud by manipulating transactions in these various accounts. So you need to be able to detect that pattern as well. In layer five is where we may have multiple fraudsters colluding together using various means, doing build pays, transfer of accounts, ACH transactions, wire transfer, so on and so forth, to basically commit a, a fraud transaction against the bank. So we need to be able to de determine all these kind of frauds. As we go down from layer one, or go up from layer one to layer five, the complexity of this fraud, as well as the difficulty in determining or matching these patterns becomes higher and higher. How many of you, by show of hands, are running fraud detection systems today? Wow, quite a few. Uh, if I were to say, like today, we have a rule-based fraud detection system. Does this, by show of hands, who? How many of you are running uh, rule-based? All right. So rule-based have been the norm so far, right? So rule-based fraud detection, for example, in the credit card environment, you have a credit card transaction coming in. It goes through a rules engine. Uh, in the rules engine, you'll have specific rules defined. Is this card a known stolen card? Is this terminal a known compromised terminal? Is the rate of transactions different from what we normally see in this customer. That will be the rules that you define manually. 
the engine basically checks the transaction against these rules and chooses to either approve the transaction or deny the transaction. So that's the rules-based. It works, but it falls short. And why does it fall short? Basically, when you're using rules-based system, they're very fragmented and reactive in nature. To determine a rule, you have to see the fraud happen and then create a rule for it. So they are very static. These rules are very specific to patterns that you may have already seen. When you're trying to do multi-layer fraud detection, layers one to five, your rule may not match. So a fraudster may get away with doing fraud. The rules are created by humans and therefore there are certain biases and errors that enter into the rules. Someone may look at it one way, another developer may look at it a different way, create the rules, the rules may not match, uh, and fraudsters may get away with committing the fraud. They need to be regularly updated. Anytime a new fraud happens, or a new pattern is detected, you need to be able to detect that fraud or create a new rule for it. Right, so it's difficult to manage. It requires constant love and care. You need to be able to, uh, you know, update the rules regularly to be able to make an efficient fraud detection system. And finally, this cannot scale. When you're looking at layer one to layer five, the complexity of the fraud is really high. Layer one is dealing with one endpoint. Layer five, you're dealing with multiple fraudsters. How do you put rules? for dealing with a scenario like that. So complexity becomes uh, very high and it cannot scale. Also, you know, days like today, Cyber Monday, you have 3x, 5x transaction rates for credit card transactions. Rules cannot scale. So in working with some of the customers, they define to me some of the problems they face and looking for a solution, right? Uh, banks, have tens and millions of customers doing tens of transactions on a daily basis, right? On peak days, there may be two to five X the number of transactions. When you have millions of customers, this thing adds up. You're trying to do billions, process billions of transactions on a daily basis. So a solution for fraud detection needs to have the ability to process these billions of transactions on a daily basis. You want to detect fraud in line with the transaction. So when a customer swipes the credit card, as the approval comes in, it should be able to go through your fraud detection system and determine whether it's a fraud so that the system can determine whether to approve or deny this charge. So it needs to happen in a couple of milliseconds. Working with some of the customers for credit card fraud, we have found out that maybe 60 milliseconds is a good number. Uh, less than 60 milliseconds is a good number. There are other kinds of frauds where, where you know, you may be doing batch processing, where you may have higher thresholds, but for high-speed transactions, you need to be able to process these transactions in milliseconds. Sorry. Banks have a lot of data. They have been in the business for years having customers process transactions. Many banks I'm dealing with have hundreds of terabytes, petabytes of data around their credit card transactions. 
So you need to be able to store, process, and analyze these large amounts of data that banks have to produce an adequate fraud detection system. So the solution that you build needs to have this. Obviously, being a bank, you need to comply with various compliance regimens. You need to be able to be having an environment that is secure. If you're dealing with credit card information, you have to meet certain compliances like PCI, DSS. So your solution needs to have all the components that are needed to meet or exceed some of the solution uh, security and uh, compliance requirements. Cost is a key metric. When I, work, when I was working with the banks, uh, they constantly told me, like, you know, we are processing billions of transactions. We need to keep the cost per transaction for fraud detection very low. Obviously, you don't want to spend more money in a fraud detection system than the fraud that you're preventing, right? So if you're going to spend billions of dollars in a fraud detection system, it's not worth it. So CPT, cost per transaction, is a very key metric in this aspect. The solution needs to be flexible and adaptable. When we look at the different layers of fraud, you need your solution to be able to detect fraud at layer one as well as at layer five. A lot of data needs to be processed. So for that reason, as we build these systems, they need to be able to take in data, process data from different sources whether it's historical data, whether it's customer profile data. And we look at an example of how fraud detection for credit cards is done. That'll sort of clarify some of what I mean by flexibility and adaptability. And obviously, it needs to be agile and scalable. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas days, banks see 5x volumes. So. You can't have a different system for these days and another system for the regular days. Come February, come January, uh, middle of January, the bank transaction volumes will drop down drastically. So you can't have a system which is built for peak and then keep it idle for the rest of the year. So it needs to be scalable. In terms of agility, the banks are looking to be able to use their data scientist time very efficiently meaning that they need to provide a platform where the data scientists can utilize large amounts of data to create new models, to verify existing models. As new production data is coming in, they need to be able to validate the existing models against the data and ensure that the accuracy level of their machine learning algorithm is up to the mark of what needs to be detected. So they need agility and scalability in the environment. How many of you are familiar with machine learning? Pretty good number of hands. A quick overview, right? It's the act of using a machine to predict outcomes based on a variety of inputs, right? So you basically have some kind of Einstein still uh, machine or math magic happening at the back end where you are providing 
an input to this Einsteinian system where it's looking at the various incoming parameters and in machine learning terms it's called features or attributes. It's coming into the system and you have an output. You provide many such inputs and you have tagged outputs. So there are two kinds of machine learning that we look at mainly, two branches of machine learning. One is called supervised, the other is called deep learning or unsupervised machine learning. So in this kind of fraud, the one that I was working on with the customers, we were looking at supervised machine learning because they had tagged data. When I mean by tagged data, meaning that they had fraud, uh, fraud analyzed data for the credit card transactions in the past. So if they had a million transactions, they knew which ones were good, which ones were bad, and they had the, those transactions tagged. So that's historical data that the banks have. So you feed that historical data into this Einsteinian system, which basically detects uh, or learns based on the input what the output should be, whether it's a fraud or not. So that's called supervised learning. When you have tagged data, when you know the outcomes of your input, uh, it be, it's supervised learning. You create a model with this uh, historical data, and you use that model to now provide unseen input, new input, a new transaction coming in. And you expect that this model, based on the learning it has done from the historical data, will be able to detect the fraud and will be able to detect it more accurately. Now, machine learning uh, is more of a multidisciplinary art form. It's not, it's a science as well as an art form because there's a lot of data involved. So if any of you guys were thinking of committing fraud, <laughs> beware. Machine learning is here to detect uh, your fraud, you know, in case you are trying anything nefarious. How many of you actually thought that they would learn about machine, how machine learning works? Okay. So, I mean, basic principles are, are very similar for machine learning. Uh, you have to have a model that you use uh, to, to detect unseen input, and that model needs to be trained. Jumping into the tools of the trade, right? So, like I said, multi, it's a multidisciplinary art and a science. The very first thing you need in machine learning is to be able to process and analyze large amounts of data. So when you're looking at uh, training the models, banks, like I said, have lots of data with them, right? Hundreds of terabytes, petabytes. You need to be able to store, process, and analyze this data. You need to create data lakes. Amazon provides simple storage service, S3, which is an ideal for this solution. It's an ideal tool, it's an ideal tool for this solution. It's a highly scalable object store where you store files, in forms of objects inside folders in buckets. Basically, you put your CSV files or you put your uh, database extracts into the S3 bucket. S3 meets a lot of the requirement parameters that we saw in the solution requirements. For example, security of data at rest. S3 provides native integration to server-side encryption as well as client-side encryption using Amazon's key management service or your own keys, for that matter, and encrypts all the data that you store at rest. 
since it's an API driven service, it has native integration for encryption in transit. All APIs, all the data that you get and put from S3 happen over SSL. So you can rest assured that all the data going into S3, the transit process is safe. When it's stored in S3, at rest it is safe. It's a highly scalable platform. Customers don't have to worry about capacity. They don't have to worry about performance. They can just pump in data and do the analysis and be free from all of those complexities of managing and running a complex storage system. So it fits in very well with the requirement for data, uh, from a data science perspective, from a machine learning perspective, to be a data lake as a source of storage. S3 is also natively well integrated with many of our other services, so, and I'll talk about some of the other services as well, uh, so that you don't have to worry about how data flows from S3. Whenever we talk about data, uh, machine learning, it's flowing data from one side to another, enhancing data, enriching data. So S3 integrations help there very much. When we look at another tool today, the modern machine learning platforms are based on the Hadoop ecosystem, MapReduce. Amazon Elastic MapReduce is another tool in the tool chest from AWS that can be used as a solution for this. It's basically a managed Hadoop platform. So if you are already using Hadoop on-prem, this service fits in very well. It takes away the complexity of creating a cluster, managing a cluster. You can basically use the same bits that are available from Apache open source distributions, as well as some of the third-party MAPR distributions, commercial distributions. It's built to be elastic, so in those days when you have 2x or 3x uh, transactions, you can add and remove compute and storage from this cluster using auto-scaling. It has built-in security features for data encryption at rest. It also has security features for data in transit. So. When you're looking to meet PCI, DSS kind of compliance requirements, many of these are already built in to the EMR service itself. So it relieves you of the headache of doing that. A data scientist is most productive when he can focus on the data aspects. And he's even more productive if he has two or three data engineers who can help him with the job. So reducing that workload of managing infrastructure really helps the data scientist and his team to produce excellent machine learning for the for the business. Uh, an easy thing about uh, Amazon uh, EMR is like any other service that we have, you pay as you consume, so it's payment by the hour. So if it's a dollar per server, you're running 10 servers in the EMR cluster, it's $10 per hour, so very cheap. And you can use other methods uh, to save costs as well. Uh, we have things called the reserved instances as well as spot market. Are you guys uh, familiar with spot instances? Pretty good. Uh, so that gives you another way to be flexible 
with your solution, allowing you to scale up and scale down when you need it. Another flexibility that uh, the EMR provides is being the same bits that it is that Amazon, uh, that Apache Hadoop is. You can easily integrate any Apache package. For example, if you have Spark, Presto, Zeppelin, these all integrate very well into the Apache, oh, sorry, uh, Amazon um, EMR service. So you can do exactly the same things that you're used to doing on-prem, or if you're building a new platform and you find some good tools available from the open source world, it can be used in, in, in MapReduce. For those who are familiar with Hadoop, will recognize that Hadoop has a master node and a slave node. So similar to that, EMR has a master node which runs the name node for the storage. Uh, it runs the resource manager for you know, the job management. And we also have the slave nodes. AWS has extended the concept of the slave nodes to include core nodes which manage and store data and run the jobs, the YARN jobs, task managers, and task nodes. The task nodes are only purely compute. They don't have storage. This is a good way for the application to use additional compute using uh, the spot market. So you can basically easily add a new set of task nodes to your EMR cluster. When the processing requirements is high, you use these task nodes to process your additional compute requirement. And when the processing is done, you scale, you scale back and remove the task nodes. Now, this can also be done with spot market. So you can add task nodes that you bid on. And that will help you save up to 80%, more than 80% in your costs for running an EMR cluster, running this solution on AWS. So for the days when you have end-of-day batches or you have a weekend processing or when a data scientist wants to run or test the algorithm with production data, they can use this method. One more point I was wanting to bring up is you can also scale the core nodes. So if you so desire to add more storage as data comes in, you can add core nodes and then remove those core nodes from the cluster. So a very flexible environment that you get from, uh, from a Hadoop platform on AWS. In the solution that we built, we used multiple Hadoop applications. We needed to be able to process streaming data. So Apache has some open source projects like Storm, Flink, Apex. So we were able to easily install these open source products on our EMR cluster. As part of the data pipeline, we needed to store data. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of data from credit card transactions historically, as well as the transactions coming in. The cluster needs to be able to store and process this data. So it, we have databases like Apache HBase, Hive, or Presto, uh, Apache Ignite, which I'll talk about later, uh, as a fast, low-latency data grid on the cloud. There are also tools like 
pig and hive, uh, pig and uh, mahout, and Zeppelin for analytics. You can also install R Studio, third-party machine learning libraries like MLlib, third-party vendor products like H2O.ai. So you can install all of those on EMR. So these form the basic tools in your tool chest for machine learning. So another service that we have, which is a key component in the solution for machine learning is our Amazon machine learning service itself. For those who are in the business of machine learning, they would have dealt with creating these clusters, updating models, using programming to create these models. Amazon machine learning is basically an easy to use service built for data engineers and developers. It allows you to easily look at your data, create a machine learning model, train the model out of it, and then use it in production in a matter of minutes. Once you have trained the model, with one click of a button, you can deploy that into production. It's based on the same technology that Amazon.com uses, for doing predictions. So very robust and very highly scalable. It's able to basically do three kinds of modeling. One is a binary classification. This is where you ask questions like, is this email spam? You want an answer, yes or no? Do I put it in a spam folder? Do not put it in a spam folder. Is this transaction fraudulent? You want the answer, yes or no? That's binary classification. Amazon, Web, Amazon Machine Learning supports that. You can do multi-class classification with Amazon Machine Learning. So it will basically answer questions of categorization. Does this fall into this category? That's the kind of answers you can get from multi-class classification. And it also does regression. The regression is a pure number that you get. You know, what is the value of possibility of fraud in this action or in this transaction or in this set of inputs? So it does these three levels of modeling. It also helps you explore and understand your data. Data visualization is a key part which helps Data scientists understand what they're dealing with and what they need to produce, what kind of machine learning they can come, get out of the data, right? So Amazon Machine Learning has direct integration with Amazon S3, so it can ingest data directly from Amazon S3 or from your other databases, RDS databases such as Redshift, uh, where it can input the data into the, into the machine learning and allow you to visualize how the data is for example, if you're looking at the yes, no, fraud kind of questions, right? Data scientists working in the field will recognize that data can be very skewed. When a bank does millions of transactions, maybe one, two, three, or five of them would be a fraud. So looking at a chart or graph to see how your distribution is in terms of how the data looks will really help you choose 
the right attributes that you need to create the model. Choose the right data sets. Maybe randomize the data set a little bit more. Select a smaller set of positives against the negatives. So that really helps in determining the model. It also helps you classify or for, for, for categorical uh, classification. It also helps you look at what categories there are, how the categories are distributed. So all these visualizations are built in to the Amazon machine learning service. Another key aspect of machine learning is that it should be better than a flip of a coin. That means when I detect fraud, I need to know with a certain number of amount of accuracy that my model is performing as I expect it to perform. So Amazon Machine Learning provides you with tools to evaluate your model. So in this case, you know, if I'm doing a yes-no kind of a question, you know, is this, a, is this a fraud or not? I need to evaluate whether my algorithm is doing, or model is doing more false positives or more false negatives. And overall, how is it performing in terms of fraud detection? Is it doing 80%, 90%, 95%, 99%? So the graphs really help you. When you're doing fraud detection for the financial banks, you're actually looking at money loss. So in this case, you may be evaluating your models. A false positive may be okay. You'll have a sad customer where their legitimate transaction gets denied. But a false negative would be really bad. Someone actually got away with the money. So having tools like this to analyze your machine learning algorithms really helps in determining the accuracy, the amount of fraud that you're protecting, the money that you're saving the bank. You can actually quantify, right? The 8.9 billion that banks lost in the US, how much of that you're saving in, in the fraud model that you're creating. And other, other graphing tools, right? So you can look at how much residuals, the, uh, residuals your uh, model has, what kind of categories, if it's a categorical uh, solution. Also, since you are creating models, you can evaluate one model versus another. Machine learning is, like I said, it's an art form where you are creating input attributes. You may have hundreds, thousands of attributes. How many of you are familiar with attributes in machine learning? Now keep your hands up if you use thousand attributes or less. Very few hands. Uh, banks sometimes use up to 3,000, 4,000 attributes. These are like columns of data in a database trying to detect fraud. So knowing which attributes to select from those 4,000 columns is really valuable. So you create multiple models, you try to test them against uh, you know, fraud scenarios and get an output and score the model. So this, this model did better than the baseline by this amount by choosing these specific columns or attributes. So let's put it all together. I've spoken a lot so far about the tools, what the problem is, what is required from a solution. This is a solution that I built with some of the customers uh, for the fraud detection on AWS. So the very first thing we were trying to build here was a model for detecting credit card fraud in credit card transactions. So with this, what goes in is basically data. 
lot of lots of data sorry lots of data right you have a customer profile obviously the customer profile includes demographic attributes maybe including some derivative or dynamic attributes such as you know where does the customer shop how much money do they spend on a regular basis what is the average transaction rate of the customer so these are attributes that are stored in databases and banks have a lot of historical data around this as well as when you have millions of customers this data set by itself is huge working with banks have 50 million customers think about 2000 attributes huge data set from a customer profile itself so banks have a lot of data about the customers how they transact where they transact what is the pattern they use things like that in a credit card obviously a store is involved where the money goes so the customers give the money it goes to the store the store again we have data around store de store demographics where is the store located does it have employees what kind of business is this in is this a high high risk business for example gas stations have the highest risk in fraud so you have those attributes within the store profile you also have dynamic attributes you know what kind of values of uh transactions do they do how many customers come per day what is the average value of a customer transaction these all attributes are stored in store profile again a huge data set because there are millions of stores accepting accepting credit cards and debit cards so a big data set right there so you've already seen two huge data sets finally we have the transaction by itself every time you swipe a card it creates a transaction this includes data such as the terminal where it was swiped the amount of money for which it was swiped uh what the credit card number is expiration whether it was swiped or it was entered in by keyboard and things like that so transaction details come in where uh what what store was it, it has store data as well this is a huge data set by itself like i said banks transact a lot of credit card transactions this by itself on a daily basis could be hundreds of millions of rows coming into your system platform so the platform needs to be able to support this so here's the architecture when we're dealing with a solution on aws it needs to be pci dss compliant obviously this is not only for aws it's for on prem systems also we have built these systems before you need to be able to meet your compliance requirements at a very high level pci dss says you need to meet these 12 high level goals these goals being making sure that the data is secure in transit as well as at rest no unauthorized people have access to the credit card data you have a proper governance strategy around how you are managing and protecting the systems so you're patching it you're making sure you're auditing it logging it logging environment no unauthorized access is allowed you are protecting the environment using firewalls so that no unnecessarily uh traffic is getting into your systems so you need to be able to meet these compliance requirements when you're building a system so you may already have a data center where you have your applications where either historical data is put or you have 
uh, upstream systems which are generating the analytics around derived values for the customer. You can basically connect to the AWS cloud using Direct Connect and store this data in S3 to create a data lake from your data. So all the data that you have, hundreds of terabytes, petabytes, you can store in S3. Like I mentioned, S3 has native capabilities to ensure that it meets PCI requirements, right? So it has database, uh, data rest encryption, data and transit encryption, which meets the PCI requirements. It has integration with IAM, so you can allow specific users to access, so you give fine-grained control over who has access to the data that meets PCI requirements. Further, further with IAM, you can also control who has access to this whole environment that you're building, right? Uh, I will not go deep into IAM because I'll, that's, a, that's a topic by itself, but the point being here that with all these fine-grained controls, you can control and meet your PCI DSS requirements for authorization, authentication. We have other services which PCI DSS requires, such as making sure that you're monitoring, you're auditing, and logging. All the changes happening to the infrastructure, all the uh, modifications happening to firewall rules, who is accessing the data, all of that can be achieved using some of the other services that we have. Amazon CloudWatch, basically the monitoring tool. It allows you to monitor your infrastructure. Amazon uh, AWS Config is a, a, like a, a snapshot config of your environment. So if anything changes in your environment, whether someone's changing firewall rules, creating new instances, deleting instances, that all is captured in Amazon Config. You can create alarms out of that, and those alarms will be uh, able to be logged and you can trigger corrective actions with that as well. Uh, you have Amazon CloudTrail, uh, and I can't stress this enough for anyone who is building solutions for financial services on AWS, please turn on Cloud, CloudTrail on day one. That basically logs every action that you do on AWS. So tomorrow if you have to find out who changed a firewall rule, when did they change it, CloudTrail will have the answer for you there. This also helps you meet some of the PCI DSS requirements. Uh, we have a full white paper and a quick start, which allows you to create some of these environments. So this is nothing special, but, but, but it goes into the solution uh, to build PCI DSS capable environments. Finally, we have Amazon uh, AWS KMS, a key management service, which basically allows you to store the keys for encryption of the data address and in transit. Now let's move a little bit faster now in terms of the core part of the solution. As PCI DSS said that you need to have a secure environment with firewall protection, Amazon VPC allows you to create that private area where your application stack will run within the AWS cloud. That private area is cordoned off from a network perspective Nobody can see into that private area, and you can't see out of the private area. By itself, without any gateways, the VPC has no internet connectivity, and no one can get in. So it meets the PCI DSS requirements. Within the VPC, you can create your own network, similar to what you have used to on-prem, maybe a 10-dot network, a 172-dot network. You can create that within the VPC. 
you can create your own subnets. So we create a subnet within the VPC. This subnet allows for additional firewalls. The subnet has network access control lists, which help you pro protect and block traffic at the subnet level. We further have security groups within the VPC, which are attached to the EC2 instances. This is another layer of firewall that you get when you're building the solution. So you have about two or three layers of firewalls to meet your PCI DSS requirements when you're using the solution, or using this architecture. The core of the machine learning platform was built around Hadoop-based tools, so Amazon EMR. We used Apache HBase as a store for large amounts of data, historical data. We use Spark to process the transactions. MLlib for creating the models as well as third-party tools such as H2O, which, was, which allows you to create Java-based and Python-based models. You can straight away import those models into your Hadoop as Java objects, POJOs, and use them in line with your solution. We used Apache Ignite as the low latency data grid. Like I mentioned, when you uh, one of the requirements were to be able to process billions of transactions and with a very low latency. Uh, you need to have a data grid which is able to meet that speed and requirement. So we use Apache Ignite to allow for the data queries such as the customer profile data, the store profile data, which could be queried in line with the data pipeline coming in for the transaction. Now what I'm showing here is the first set of the infrastructure which is basically used for training, right? So big part about machine model, machine learning is you need to train a model. Once you have trained the model, you use it in production to process data. So this is a training infrastructure, right? So you have persistent long-term databases. You have in-memory grids, and then you stage the data into RDS databases, which could be Oracle, Aurora, MySQL, and then use that data to connect to your downstream applications, which may be in, the, in your corporate data center. We also used Amazon Machine Learning as a tool to be able to experiment with new models, evaluate the incoming attributes, and create models that you could use in line with the transactions. Now, all of this is for learning part. The beauty of this solution is that you can take this and create a production environment out of it. And I'll just show you in a second there. But when we speak to developers, the biggest challenge that developers or data scientists have is how to use a system that they are going to use in production. Very often, we'll have a scaled-down version for a data scientist, and then we take it to start processing a billion transactions. We don't know how it will work. Using this kind of a reference architecture, you are able to take the same infrastructure. And believe me, in the amount of time I've taken to speak all of this, all of this can be automated and deployed in a matter of minutes. I have a cloud formation and a command line which launches the whole EMR cluster with bootstrap scripts 
which installs HBase, which installs Spark, installs Ignite, all together into one system. And in 15 minutes, you have this whole environment ready to rock, ready to rock and roll. So now moving to take this machine model learning part and going into a production environment. You can either use the same platform that you have built for learning and just connect more elements to make it production, or you can copy this. If you have the cloud formation automation, you can just copy this and make another environment where you can start accepting your transactions. So whether you are using a, a credit card processor such as TSYS or First Data or maybe JP Morgan uh, Paytech, these are all the credit card processors. They will start feeding in the last data set that I showed, the transaction data. Generally, they're provided as data streams over T, uh, SSL, TLS. Uh, note that so far in this picture, the VPC has no external connectivity. For PCI DSS, we have built this environment such that it's completely secure. No one other than people who are authorized and allowed to use the infrastructure, infrastructure can get in. So to allow the data from your credit card processor to come in, either you can have them come in through the corporate data, sector, data center and go over Direct Connect, or you can create a dedicated VPN connection for that credit card provider. Again, that's another layer of encryption, meeting the DC, uh, PCI requirements. You have the data coming to your system. Now we need an ingestion layer, right? So there's billions of transactions coming in. We need an ingestion layer for this. So we built a solution based on Kafka. All the transactions that came in were captured in Kafka and then streamed into our Hadoop platform using stream processing engines such as Apache Apex. I've put Flink in there as another option. You can use Flink as well. The basic idea being that once you have data ingested, it forms the data pipeline from ingestion all the way to the credit card transaction approval. As part of the Apex uh, solution, the, the data is enriched. So when data comes in from the transaction perspective on Kafka, it may be one kilobyte, two kilobytes, and a string of this is the credit card number, this is the transaction, this is the store ID, this is the amount, some data about the terminal information. So that's the string that comes in. Once it hits the streaming processing, you need to enrich that data, the data stored in the other profile, the store profile, the customer profile. That's extracted from the Apache Ignite in-memory data grid. Once you have the model, the next stage of the processing hits your machine learning model with the right input attributes and produces the machine learning output, which is an approve or deny. So two parts, the same infrastructure that you created is extended to use in production. So this is the solution that we built. We were able to process a billion transactions uh, with about 20 M4 10XL larges. The cost of that infrastructure was about $20,000 in that range per month. 
when we look at on-prem environments for building these kind of solutions, the cost of infrastructure itself runs in hundreds of thousands and millions. So in terms of the outcome, we were able to, first of all, reduce the cost. And this was a key parameter that I mentioned. Banks are looking to save on CPT, the cost per transaction. So we were able to reduce the cost of this solution from hundreds of thousands of dollars per month to tens of thousands of dollars, right? A factor of reduction there. We were able to meet the requirements of speed. The work that was required to do or build this solution on-prem took months. With the cloud formation and automation that AWS provides, we were able to stand up these environments in a matter of minutes. It cut down the time to first detection or first machine learning to days from months. Right? And we were able to shift the focus and make the developers more agile by moving away from having them to work with infrastructure issues to focus more on actually developing more machine learning models, more accurate models, multiple runs, and so on and so forth. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. We saw a solution which basically allows you to process billions of transactions on a daily basis. It scales based on your transactions. It's processing in line in a matter of milliseconds. It's very appropriately cost, low cost. You have the flexibility of using third-party tools uh, to do the machine learning. You can do inline machine learning with Amazon Machine Learning Service itself. And it integrates very well with what you have already done. This is an easy migration for customers who are already doing Hadoop-based machine learning on-prem. Now, like I said, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We can go one step ahead, go completely serverless. <laughs> so, using things like API Gateway, Amazon Lambda, uh, services more than infrastructure, we can further reduce the time it takes to develop your machine learning and fraud detection systems on AWS, as well as lower the cost. So you will have literally transaction costs in 0.01 cents per transaction, something like that, when you use uh, serverless. And again, you don't have to worry about scale. You don't have to worry about elasticity. It's all built in. So that was my journey for building a fraud detection and machine learning system on AWS. We have actually a very in-depth coverage of machine learning at this year's reInvent. We, in fact, have a mini-con for a mini-conference for uh, machine learning, and there are many more sessions around machine learning. I've listed a few up here. Today is the first day uh, of the reInvent. Uh, please do go, and if you have interest in machine learning and need to learn a lot more in-depth, some of the sessions in our 
upcoming days. Thank you.